0: Maria, cut out our awkwardness. Um, we love you, Maria. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> say hi to Maria. You know Maria, right? Hi,
1: Maria. Maria, I actually love you. I, I just want to say super fast. I think you're one of the best pro life graphic designers out there, um, and I've like been a massive fan of your work like behind the scenes for forever. So thank you for who you are.
0: Maria, you should keep that part in. Uh, everyone should know that Maria is one of the Start best. Start the
1: podcast there. with that. It's a great pitch. <laughs>
0: um not only a great graphic designer also a great podcast editor thank you maria
2: hi everyone welcome to this month's episode of the rehumanize international podcast i'm emiliano I'm Herb Garrity, and, and we have a guest. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Um, so, Allie, uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit for the podcast?
1: I would love to introduce myself. First off, guys, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I love you guys and the work that Rehumanize is doing, so truly, truly a big blessing. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: Um, so Allie, I know you because we are geographical neighbors. You're in Ohio and I'm in Pennsylvania, um, which are also two pretty similar states, somewhat, somewhat purple can go back and forth when it comes to the pro-life issue, depending on who's in office. Um, and so I feel like I, I have a lot to learn from the state-based work in Ohio for how to apply it to my own home state, um we're sort of in opposite situations right now. You have a pro-life governor. We have a pro-abortion governor. We have a somewhat pro-life um, state legislature, and Ohio has a somewhat pro-life legislature. It sort of can go back and forth depending on um, the session, basically, um, which I think is, is good and bad. Obviously, it would be preferred if we just had a across-the-board pro-life government um, everywhere, and we could just get good laws passed that serve women and protect babies, Um, but it also, it's better than some other states where it's a total uphill battle. Um, But I think that it means that we have to be a little bit strategic in what priorities we put out there and um, how to, fight against some of the more aggressive pro-abortion politicking that we see in these purple states. Um, So that's why we're having Allie on, because Allie is like the quintessential state-based pro-life organizer. Um, I'll let you talk a little bit about your history, but I know you've been with Ohio Right to Life, um, as well as some more localized branches. So tell us about your start in the pro-life movement and your work specifically in Ohio.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Oh, gosh. How do we even get started? It feels like a whole life ago before I did pro-life stuff. Um, So, yeah. So I kind of started out in a kind of a strange way. Um, I'd always been a pro-life person. I grew up in a pro-life family. Um, But there wasn't a ton of pro-life work being done beyond just supporting our local pregnancy center, which my dad, God bless him, was very faithful to do for many years. Um, But as I started to get older and right before I went to my freshman year of college, I felt my heartstrings get getting pulled a little more intensely. And I felt very much the the call to go into uh, pro-life work. Um, I actually got started as a pro-life advocate on the sidewalk, which is a really crazy like way to get started. Um, I actually, uh, I was sitting in a church service. I'm a person of faith and I was making up all the reasons why I shouldn't go down and be a sidewalk advocate. And I very clearly uh, felt right back in my head, you know, those are bad excuses. You know, it's a bad excuse. You, you need to do it Anyway, um, and so long story short, I ended up on the sidewalk, ended up becoming a sidewalk advocate in front of the Planned Parenthood on East Main Street in Columbus, Ohio, which is my hometown and my place of residence now. And uh, yeah, it kind of escalated from there. Um, I had seen a lot of work that Students for Life was doing on social media, and they just... Definitely pulled me in big time. I saw so many ways to get involved. And before I knew it, I was in college and I had uh, volunteered myself to start the Students for Life chapter at my school, which is Columbus State Community College, which is right in the heart of Columbus. Um, literally, it's right inside the city. And what a huge blessing. That was an amazing, crazy Uh, crazy few years of school. And then I got involved with Ohio Right to Life actually through one of my original sidewalk counseling um, buddies um, who had told me, hey, if you want to get involved in legislative stuff, you know, shoot this lady a text. That lady was Ohio Rights to Life's legislative director and now a longtime friend of mine. Um, so before I knew it, I'd been recruited by Ohio Right to Life um, to be their social media manager. I literally got pulled off the sidewalk uh, into the state house, so to speak, and uh, then was their communications director. Um, and that was just glorious. Love that to death. Good stuff. Um, and then I went and ran one of their local branches for a little bit. And then now I am back in Columbus just doing very freelance stuff now. So it's been a wild ride.
2: Groovy, thank you. So I am also from a Midwestern state, but uh, I guess maybe I would be like in the Ohio of Illinois, but you know, it's Illinois. Uh, We have a, a, not just a a democratic supermajority and governor uh, and Supreme Court, um, but they are particularly, I think, Uh, pro-abortion to an extreme that I think we don't really see outside of maybe like New York and California Um, and uh, with the Reproductive Health Act in uh, 2019 uh, I think uh, I think Illinois now is one of the most um, permissive states in terms of abortion Uh, so what I'm interested to see kind of what the legislative process is like in a state that um, there is a little bit more back and forth. Um, So what what does it look like to work uh, in the Capitol and uh, how especially are uh, maybe uh, their differences within the Democratic Party? Um, If if there are Democratic legislatures that are kind of more open to um, uh, pro-life bills uh, or if it's just kind of like a, a closed wall like it is in Illinois.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm so glad you brought up Illinois, um, because Illinois is a prime example of, uh, sadly, what will happen to Ohio um, if our uh, pro-abortion ballot initiative uh, that's going on right now um, passes. Ultimately, Um, Illinois is really crazy. And I find it absolutely fascinating um, because in Illinois, you can see this clear progression of where abortion extreme extremism truly leads a state. Um, I think in 2013, there was a court case, I think it was Hope Clinic versus Flores, that actually found a uh, right to abortion in Illinois state constitution um, and their state Supreme Court uh, were the ones who ruled that. And by 2019, you see Illinois have sweeping uh, abortion legislation, very pro-abortion, very, very radical and extreme. And then by 2022, uh, Illinois's parental rights law was essentially nixed. It's gone now. Um, and strangely enough, in our efforts here in Ohio, I have been referencing Illinois um, and kind of what happens in Illinois as kind of this blueprint of what can happen to a Midwest state um, when they really just kind of let the pro-abortion extremists go off the rails and do whatever the heck they want. So um, yeah, Illinois is, is very fascinating. But here in Ohio, we're a strange beast. I think that a lot of people don't understand really what makes Ohio tick, which is really fascinating. And as a person who is born and raised here and just loves Ohio to death, it's always really interesting to educate people. I think a lot of people think that Ohio is just like a bunch of like, they think it's the internet memes, right? They think it's a bunch of like cornfields and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that is a huge part of Ohio. And we're really Proud of that heritage, but a lot of Ohio is actually mid-sized cities, um, and so Ohio on a voting map is super wild because it's literally just like this sea of red with literally blue spots um, on each of our major uh, mid-sized cities that we have, and we have several um, between Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, Toledo, Dayton. Um, we we have a lot of cities, um, so Ohio is interesting in that it has a very pro-life legislature because most of Ohio is red, but then it also has a very strong pro-abortion contingent that is pretty vicious um, in the state. So it's it's a very interesting kind of process. Um, Ohio is really, really blessed in that we have a lot of really strong pro-life legislators and we do have massive pro-life majorities in our Ohio House and Senate in our Ohio State House, um, which is great. However... <laughs> there's a lot cooking in Ohio right now. And one of the things that's most dangerous about Ohio is we have a super pro life uh, governor, Governor DeWine. I've met him personally, great dude. Um, He's done a lot for Ohio, just even beyond the life issue. He's done a ton in just in terms of programs and helping women and families. I mean, he's a champ on those things as well. Um, But we have all of our higher elected offices pretty much in Ohio are strong pro life individuals. Um, But Ohio has a really strange setup in that it has an incredibly low threshold to amend our state constitution, um, which is literally just a disaster waiting to happen. And it's fascinating that we're not even coming to the realization of these things until now. Um, But in order to amend Ohio's constitution, um, all you need is a signature petition drive um, with a certain percentage of half of the counties uh, represented in signatures. um, And then that will allow a uh, amendment change to go on the ballot. And then in order for that amendment to literally be put into Ohio's constitution, our founding document, they only need 50% of the vote plus one vote. So you could have one guy making the decision for the entire uh, state. Um, And we've found, unfortunately, this to be disastrous and not just on the life issue and other things, too. Um, I mean, regardless of how you feel about casinos and things like that, casinos are literally written into Ohio's constitution um, because these big business uh, organizations have literally come in and just bought their way into our state's founding document. Um, And it's wild to me that we're just finding this out now. And this is really coming to light um, in Really, in light of what's going on with the abortion fight, because um, we can pass all the pro-life legislation until the cows come home, and Governor Dewine is—he's a faithful dude; he'll he'll sign them. Um, but that's not going to do us any good if pro-abortion forces literally buy off our state constitution and write a right to abortion in our state's constitution. What happened in Illinois will happen in Ohio um, if we don't stop this ballot initiative and if we don't raise the threshold on Ohio's constitution to be really high, um, so that big business can't just like literally like write their business plan into our state's founding document. so yeah we're we're in an interesting position right now
2: so first of all i was uh just waiting for the ohio uh love to come out because i swear to you every single person that i have ever met from ohio is like nah, you don't know Ohio, Ohio is great. And then goes on like a five minute rant about how, how Ohio is great. My sister-in-law is from Ohio. Um, and sometimes I'll just like mention something like to, to to send her off on an Ohio rant. Um, and I, I think personally, I think that's beautiful in Illinois. We are like have no state pride whatsoever. Uh, people are from Chicago. They have like Chicago pride from downstate. Everybody's like, well, we're just out here in the cornfields. But uh, nobody's like Rara, Illinois, so I, I uh, appreciate the, the Ohio patriotism. Um, but also I wanted to uh, ask about, um, so there's this referendum coming up. Uh, what have you learned from other referendums that have uh, just happened in other states where even though uh, they were conservative states um, lost pretty, uh, bad at the ballot reference. I think, uh, Nebraska was one, um, can't, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. What things have you found that, uh, you can learn from those experiences? Um, what, what is like the communication like with other, um, state pro-life groups? Uh, have you heard any, Kind of tips from them or warnings, like watch out for this. Um, so what's, yeah, I guess, what, what's the groundwork and uh, how are you going to try to uh, avoid an outcome like has happened in several other states, um, in, especially in the Midwest?
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, I am so glad that you mentioned the Ohio Pride thing, because that is 100% true and I am that person. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not the only one. Um, honestly, it, not our state. Not our state. Like Ohio is the seventh state, I believe, and I hope my numbers are right, is the seventh state to face something similar to what we're facing now with our abortion referendum. It stops with us. Um, we have had the incredible, incredible honor to be able to work directly with a lot of the states um, that have had uh less good outcomes than they would have liked on um, their referendums on either abortion or um, like life uh, constitutional amendments and things like that. Um, Oh gosh, there are are so many things. I've I've had the honor to be able to write a few scholarly articles on this topic and um, I get so passionate about it. So I apologize if I get too excited, Um, but there are so many things to learn from other states. I mean, I can't I cannot even overestimate how invaluable the other states input is into our fight, Um, because I think that only now are we as the pro-life movement truly understanding the repercussions of what we have uh, ahead of us um, and what Roe versus Wade being overturned, what a post-Roe America and our pro-life fight truly means. I think that we thought we were prepared or we thought we were preparing. um, But I think that. Uh, there's so much more to do than we ever could have thought. The biggest thing I've noticed, and this is obviously just from my background in communications, um, media is everything. Um, Communications is everything. And I love our movement to death, but we struggle sometimes, especially considering that I can't speak for other states, but I can say in the state of Ohio, our media has effectively turned against us. Um, And they've been doing that since Roe. I used to work directly with tons of reporters. I mean, I have these people's, you know, uh, phone numbers in my cell phone, right? They're they're texting me about things, and you can see a definitive shift in everyone's tone and all the reporters, uh, the professionalism uh, sadly just uh, becoming in some ways a thing of the past in terms of the way that they report on life issues. Um, So I think that most of it is actually marketing. Um, The pro-life movement knows, I mean, we have strong arguments. We have strong philosophical reasons why we do what we do. Um, We're some of the most hardworking, compassionate people out there, Uh, but when the media and uh, the print is against you, it, it does become harder. Um, to get your message out there in the way that you want people to understand who you are and why you're doing. Um, So one thing that Kansas had uh, spoke to us is uh, have a really strong social media presence. Um, Don't discount that. And thankfully, I've been doing social media for a long time and I'm not the best out there by any stretch of the imagination. But I do have a little bit of experience um, and I've literally just been waging the war on Instagram. Um, of just doing tons of uh, stuff, educating people about these amendments um, because we see massive misinformation campaigns by the pro-abortion side because they know that if uh, voters in these states, especially in the Midwest, I think, where uh, people are more form- family-oriented and they are more sanguine um, to being more measured on things, if they knew the truth, they would never sign off on these ballot initiatives. If they truly knew that Illinois was the future of Ohio if we passed this thing, people are not going to be signing onto that. Like that's not going to be a thing. Um, But misinformation truly is being waged. So I think education is incredibly important. Um, I think it's important for us to be really clear and debunk the other side. I also think that necessarily leading with uh, abortion specifically is not always the best policy. Um, In Ohio, we found a lot of success in trying to speak to people to not just the life issue, but the other repercussions that could come from the ballot initiative. Um, Parental rights has been been a big thing. Um, Ohioans are really family oriented. A lot of us have families, and that's a huge priority for us. Knowing that uh, passing this extreme ballot initiative would truly it would obliterate parental rights in our state and a minor could literally be taken to Planned Parenthood by an abuser, uh, have an abortion performed on them under duress and be dropped right back off at their parents' house without the parents even knowing. That, that scares the average person. Um, and it's important for us to be really clear and explicit about truly what's at stake. So I think that most of it is marketing and media. Uh, and education of the voters. The other side is really good at modeling themselves as these compassionate, rational individuals. And I've even done a little bit of like decline to sign stuff, and I've even had some dialogues with these people um, who are gathering the petition signatures in Ohio. And it's it's fascinating stuff. Most of these people are nice people. You know, they're not um, they're not going to be. Uh, you know, maybe that that viral, you know, rabid type of uh, approach. These people are average people who have families and lives, but they don't understand the repercussions of what they're doing. So the average Ohioan really needs to know. Um, we can't just assume that we're going to win on the life issue because we've won in the past. Uh, this is a dogfight. It is going to be tough. Um, but if we are truthful and upfront about the repercussions and have the receipts, that is massively helpful.
0: I think that's a good point. I think post-Obs, the the misinformation war is the frontier i mean i constantly am shocked and disturbed at 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 what the pro-life movement is alleged to be doing or the laws we are alleged to be passing by um, not just pro-abortion activists because i think we've always kind of been used to pro-abortion activists lying about us but by the mainstream media putting out stories about, you know, what, what pro life laws do or, um, you know, uh, who, who will be punished by pro life laws um, that are just not written in the actual text of the laws themselves and no one is pushing for outside of maybe some extremist. Um, and so I think that as someone who Really, I'm not super involved in most day to day legislative work or campaigning on ballot initiatives. I, you know, I've, I've done it a bit in Pennsylvania and some other places, um, but I'm really just talking to people one on one about abortion as a more abstract issue rather than these policies. Um, and I find so often that people are willing to align with me. They'll say, you know, maybe you're right. Abortion is wrong, or I'm pro life. But then they're told that what the pro-life laws are means incarcerating thousands of women and re-implanting ectopic pregnancies and, um, you know, criminalizing uh, rape survivors. And it's just, that's not what I'm promoting. Um, but so it leads to this problem of people, and I think this is what we're seeing in these states that have been traditionally pro-life, sort of losing their ballot initiatives based on misinformation. If the question was simply you know, should it be legal to have an abortion all nine months of pregnancy and um, no parental uh, notification and no safety protections? These pro-life states and pro-life people wouldn't be voting for them. Uh, but the way they're being presented as something completely different than the reality um, and sold to people by the abortion lobby, just I, it puts me in a very uncomfortable position of I don't even know how to counter some of this misinformation because it is so per- pervasive
1: oh yeah 100 percent. and like we've seen this massively in ohio too um because we've had all kinds of weird controversies where people are like oh the law says this or oh this person is at at risk because of this and far be it for me to ever trivialize any hard case because behind every hard case that is used to prop up abortion for all, for all reasons, through all nine months of pregnancy, there is a person who is deeply hurting and there is a person who's a victim. And I honestly hate how the pro-abortion side takes survivors of abuse, especially children, and just weaponizes their stories. For one thing, it puts them at a ton of risk um, because the risk of their identities being leaked are out there. Um, but the pro-abortion side, they... They do not have scruples. They will use someone as a tool if they think it will push their narrative. And we've seen this happen in Ohio to disastrous effects for everyone involved. And I think the stuff with miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies is just absolutely egregious one thing that's made me ex- especially sad has been the way that the pro abortion uh, segment of the medical community has weaponized women experiencing miscarriage i hate this like my family's experienced miscarriage like this is not a joke to me uh, this is a heartbreaking moment and one of the lowest women's that moments that a woman can experience. And I see them saying stuff like, oh, these women are being denied miscarriage care um, and whatnot because of pro abortion laws or because of pro-life laws, excuse me. And what makes me so angry is I'm like that doctor is actively putting their political agenda over the very real needs in the moment of this woman in crisis. And I have a very hard time believing that someone who has been through years and years of extensive Medical training isn't smart enough to read a piece of legislation that's maybe like five pages long. I literally had a dear friend of mine uh, send me a message on Instagram, uh, pro-life lady, strong, wonderful lady, has a beautiful family. Um, but she said, you know, my friend experienced this. She experienced, you know, being denied care. And I replied back to her and I was like, this doctor. This doctor is weaponizing your poor friend. Like that's what's happening. This isn't about whether or not women can receive miscarriage care because women must receive miscarriage care. Like that is life saving, absolutely necessary. Um, this is about doctors seeing an opportunity to try to demonize what pro-lifers are doing, um, and it, it makes me so sick and so mad because it's not a game. Um, yeah, it's it's not a game for these women. So it's it's wild. We have to be really stringent and really explicit about what these laws are, what they do, how women are protected. And I think pro-lifers are getting better at that. We're getting better at kind of countering uh, this this terrible narrative that women are going to be at risk. That is never our goal. The whole reason we're doing this is because every life matters, and if the life in the womb matters, of course, a woman who is you know born and having a child or experiencing a loss of a child matters too. So yeah, I think that the misinformation is massive. You saw this in states like Kansas. I read an article um, when I was doing some research for a scholarly article a few months ago, um, and it was actually it was in the Boston Globe, and it was actually the woman who had run a lot of Planned Parenthood's like legislative efforts, but she was the person they hired to run the anti-pro-life uh, amendment fight in Kansas. And the way she described how sinisterly she was manipulating the people of Kansas and just openly admitting this to the Bo- Boston Globe. You can Google it. Um, was horrific. She literally used language that she thought uh, the family-oriented people of Kansas would uh, would adhere to to manipulate them into voting uh, against the value of them both amendment. And yeah, we we have to be on our guard. These people are ruthless and they will lie through their teeth.
2: Um. So this is uh. You know, uh, an organization that uh, has lots of times been uh, described like as progressive pro-life or kind of like alternative pro-life, me included, like a lot of the people uh, in Rehumanize uh, might tend to be uh, more liberal, more progressive um, while uh, maintaining that consistent life ethic uh, and uh, recognizing the... Uh, how lots of the progressive uh, movement is just uh, wrong on abortion. Um, And so to kind of progressive listeners, uh, I kind of wanted to talk more about the uh, ballot process um, because there uh, has like the, the rhetoric around it is kind of like, Oh, Look here, though, these like uh, authoritarian fascist Republicans trying to raise the uh, the, the voting limit from 50 percent to 60 percent um, so that it's harder for, you know, the average uh, Ohioan to have their voice heard. Um, and that might sound like a convenient narrative for like this issue now when it's um Uh, a more Republican backed, um, initiative, but I think it's also important to, uh, recognize that this, uh, Ohio's, uh, referendum has been used in the past for lots of different issues. It's not always like the people, uh, as just kind of like as this united mass of, uh, kind of progressive, ordinary people, uh, Try to get something passed, um, and the like. Conservative Republican government is always against it. Um, in two thousand four, uh, this same uh, ballot measure, uh, what this same uh, type of process was used uh, to pass with sixty one percent of voter approval, a ban on same sex marriage, um, in through the Ohio Constitution and. Uh, this same process was used successfully uh, several years later in uh, 2011 to successfully block uh, the implementation of a, a uh, anti-union or right to work law um, that dealt with collective bargaining. So, uh, like several of the the uh, ballot measures that have passed in the past uh, several years have already passed with more than sixty percent support. Um, and those have, uh, been progressive issues. They've been conservative issues. Um, and the people of Ohio have voted, uh, you know, uh, from a progressive standpoint, like both in ways that we maybe have wanted in the union issue and maybe ha- would not have wanted in the gay rights issue. So I do think that like the narrative about, you know, the Republican party being especially like authoritarian in this issue of like trying to like do political tricks to keep the ballot initiative, uh, down. I don't, I don't know how much validity that has to it because I mean, Democrats have done the same thing, uh, in different ballot measures that they didn't like in Ohio. And, uh, yeah, there's, uh, like, a long record of this being, uh, you know, used by different groups to promote different things, um, and like, like you said, I think media um, and how it's promoted will deal a lot with what the outcome will be.
1: Absolutely, and I am so glad you brought up um, the history of uh, the the process by which Ohio's constitution is changed in Ohio because it is truly fascinating and incredibly insightful. I literally just had a lady approach me earlier this week and try to engage me. um, And I did talk to her for as long as I could. Um, I was unfortunately tied up with something. So I had limited time um, engage me about uh, issue one, which is the issue that has been put forth that would essentially uh, allow Ohio's constitution to be protected from being just bought off essentially by out of state millionaires. Um, If you look at the uh, history of abortion ballot initiatives uh, across the U.S., especially over the last like year, if you go through and you read all of the donations that were made by people for the pro-abortion side and you go through and read all the donations that were made to the pro-life side, they are Night and day. It is shocking. I've gone through and read um, the donations for Kansas, uh, the donations donations for Michigan. I've looked through some of Ohio's. Um, and what you will see is on these ballot initiatives, you have a bunch of uh, a bunch of pro-abortion organizations and a bunch of millionaires from Hollywood and other uh, states that don't share a lot of values with Midwestern states like Ohio, literally dumping and funneling cash into pro-abortion um initiatives uh for a state that they don't even probably live in and it's shocking and then you pull up uh, but you pull up the pro-life side and it's like uh you know it's like uh john smith occupation farmer 25 dollars, or you know calvary bible church you know Uh, 150, like it's, it is individuals, uh, it's small business owners, uh, like local businesses, it's churches, uh, nonprofit groups. I mean, it's just it's night and day difference. And what we've seen in Ohio is since we have such a low threshold for our, our Constitution to be amended, The people who have money have used that for their own gain time and time again. Um, And it's it's truly quite shocking. I think it's much easier to pull the wool over 50 percent of Ohioans than it is to pull the wool over 60 percent of Ohioans. And I think that whatever whenever we are going to Ohio's founding document and we're saying, okay, this needs change, this needs updated, this needs adjusted. It needs to pass with flying colors like it can't be flip it. This is the document that is guiding everything about our state and protecting our rights in the state. If we're just changing it willy nilly and any person who rolls up with, you know, 50 million dollars is able to just write themselves in. That's just that's an accident waiting to happen. And it will be used and abused by the powerful truly for for the average Ohioans. Um, And I had a lady walk up to me the other day and say, well, you know you know, Republicans are manipulating this and, and uh, they're manipulating that. And this is all them trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, or this is all them trying to stop democracy. And uh, it got to the point in the conversation where she was like, have you even taken a course in political economics? Which is a really interesting comment, because you would you would think that the average person is smart enough if they've done their research to not need a degree in something to be able to understand basic concepts um, but also, i simply I mean, do actually- not actually know your program
2: for political economy <laughs> and that that is a term that only people in political economy use that's <laughs> I,
1: I couldn't the part the part of me the part of me that is just like an average like rural midwesterner at heart was like Are you trying to say I'm not smart enough to understand what I'm talking about, right? Because I went to community college. Um, Are are you trying to say that because I haven't spent money on an extensive liberal arts degree that I don't know what I'm talking about and what's good enough for me and my family? Um, But I didn't say that because of course that would have been incredibly impolite. and Ohioans are very nice. Um, but I said, actually, I said, I've written scholarly articles on this topic. Um, and uh, actually, uh, she's like, well, you can't believe everything you see online. And I was like, actually, uh, all my articles are footnoted um, and they're done in Chicago style. Um, so that was that was an interesting conversation. Um, but long story short, um, This is not a usurpation of the people at all. If anything else, this is making sure that all of us are on board with something. Um, And we're not gonna change something that's going to affect an entire state with one person who maybe saw a few television ads. And not that that person isn't smart enough to make their own decisions, but people are influenced um, by money and they are influenced by how much they they can be essentially have something thrown in front of their face. Issue one in my mind is saying, our founding document is so important and the rights of the people in our state are so sacred that we have to be incredibly enthusiastically sure before we change anything about our founding document. If you look at the federal constitution, it's like 7,000-ish words. If you look at the Ohio constitution, it's like 75,000. And that's because everybody who's had enough disposable cash to like write their business into the constitution has done it and that needs to stop now Um, and I think big abortion is no different Um, they are going to use that as a tool to manipulate people and the only way that we can truly protect our constitution and our state is by passing issue one.
2: That said um, yeah I obviously like in a uh, in a perfect world I I think uh, obviously the for for me and I, I think for many of people uh like the the ideal is to have um you know um a, a majority says um a majority rules uh but i think also like when you look at individual cases like any type of uh legal structure can be abused um And sometimes it's like on an issue by issue basis, depending on who is in power and who is going to do what in that specific time. So um, yeah, to uh, maybe progressives uh, who are listening to it, uh, to this uh, podcast, I would say, um, maybe uh, just think about how power is actually wielded Um, and how it's being wielded in this instance. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, who is actually in in this case going to benefit from the way that, uh, the legal structure is put in place. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what ways can, uh, we work with the legal system, uh, in, in, uh being able to uh protect unborn people while at the same time uh protecting the votes and the voices of uh the people in Ohio um i don't know Let's
1: i think i get what you're saying i think i get what of, you're yeah. saying <laughs> i think i get what you're saying and i think that that is like a valid concern um and i i 100% understand why people are there because like democracy is important like uh, it it is important on a fundamental level. And I think that people understand that, but even democracy can have safeguards written into it. And I think that that's kind of, that's where I'm coming from. Like the only way we're gonna stop literally just like big business from like just running roughshod over like our entire state and essentially putting people in bondage. The only way we're gonna do that is if we band together wholeheartedly. And so when I see the, uh, the change in issue one from changing it to 60, 40, I think to myself, this is helping more of us get on board and more of us be able to stand up and say, no, this isn't okay. We are going to protect things. Like, I feel like it gives us, in a way, more power in that sense. And one thing that was really interesting too, in that conversation I had with that lady, one thing that she said to me was she, well, she kind of brought up what you brought Emiliano, which was, um, well, don't you want, uh, you know, it should be one person, one vote. And don't you think that like, every person should have a say? And I replied, I said, absolutely. And that's why I think that the way that issue one changes the signature petition drive from requiring only 44 of the Ohio counties to 88, which is all of our counties, signatures from each, is massive. That's huge. Because if we only get signatures from half of our counties, that, that, that potentially, that's only that's only half of the communities, right? That's only half of our state represented. So issue one is, is so nuanced in that way, is that it is changing the bar and making the bar much more stringent to amend our constitution with the purpose of safeguarding it. But it's also expanding and saying, hey, if we're going to do this, if we're going to do a signature petition drive to change our founding document, all the counties need to be on board. It can't just be half of them, um, which I think, honestly, I think is a great, I think that's a great olive branch. I think that's an amazing way to continue to pull counties in, because I will say as a person who has traveled all around Ohio, the people in maybe Ironton, Ohio, who are right on the Kentucky border, their views and their values and what's important to them is going to be radically different than someone in Cuyahoga County in Cleveland. And I think that everybody's voice is going to be important. And I think when these signature petition drives are happening, I think that there's a big danger that a lot of the rural communities get left out a lot of people on the fringes, you know, who's going to drive down to Scioto County? Is somebody going to do that? Those people matter too. Like if their state's constitution is going to change, they should be able to have a say in whether or not they're on board with that. So I think that I think that truly in banding together in large scale, I think we are able to kind of push back a lot against big abortion specifically, um, but a lot of other people. And you'll even see the people behind issue one. It's not just like pro-lifers. It's also um, uh, like people from like the farming community, um, the Chamber of Commerce, because they understand that this low level to change the constitution affects all of us. And so I get really excited to kind of see people who historically maybe are from different sides of the aisle getting behind issue one. So that just, that gets me excited and makes me even more confident.
2: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense to us. Somebody who comes from the part of Illinois, that's literally called Forgotonia. Um where, you know, people feel resentment lots of times of being like left out of the, the legislative process. So Uh, always always in favor of uh getting the little people out in the boonies (laughs) of voice too because we 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 don't like getting excluded all the time
1: i just love rural communities i can't help myself like i've lived in the city i've lived in the country i just the people of ohio like i just i love them man their hearts are so pure and they're such cool people and just because you live in like the middle of nowhere and the closest thing to you is like a Seven doesn't mean that like they shouldn't need to get your signature too. And I don't know. I, I always look forward in the future to ways I can just help those communities that seem forgotten. Cause it's like, they matter too. You know, I don't uh, know. I, I can't help it. Like I love my state. <laughs>
2: Ohioan, yeah. Uh, as a candidate, I, can, I can. went I can. out and, and knocked doors in the in the rural areas, uh, and uh, people would tell me, "This is the first time that anybody's ever come out and said hi to me," you know, as, as a as a candidate. Um, so, yeah, that it shows a lot of the the character of of the work that uh, you're doing to make sure that uh, people actually do. Uh, are, are seen in in the legislative process.
0: Well, thank you, Ali, for coming on and for explaining all of this complicated politicking to me who doesn't always fully understand how the process works. Um, I, I definitely focus more on the outcome. You know, what, what, what do we gotta get past to make sure the most lives are protected and the most people are served and needs are being met? Um, and it's, I, I did actually, I studied political science in undergrad Uh, But I hated it. I I, I hated all the process. I was like, this is such a why is there all this bureaucracy? Why don't we already have a system that meets the needs of people and protects the people who need to be protected? Um, And so that is why I do not work in politics. I work in movement building um, because uh, that's easier for me to understand and relate to people on rather than having to try to explain these complicated process issues. So I'm very grateful that there's people out there like you who are doing this hard work of explaining and making sure that the processes in place are just and fair and can lead to those Good outcomes that we want to build a culture of peace and life. Um, We got to wrap up soon, but I want to end on a more positive note. We are recording this just a few days before the anniversary of the Dobbs v. Jackson decision. This will probably be posted several days after uh, the anniversary of the Dobbs v. Jackson decision, um, but we'll still call this our anniversary episode. Um, And I think I just want to give everyone a minute to reflect on what that means. The fact that we're having some of these conversations about, um, you know, the fight in the state is it's kind of interesting because two years ago, we were a very different movement with very different priorities. We sort of had that um, that single priority of overturning Roe v. Wade before we could um, really achieve much in the states. And now we're in a totally different position. And so I think that I want to Thank you, Allie, for coming on, but for specifically your work that you're doing in a purple state like Ohio, where, um, you know, we always said we want the issue back to the states. That's what the pro-life movement said. Really, I I want abortion to be banned, um, and I am comfortable <laughs> if the, the federal government makes that decision. Um, but again, that's a, that's a process thing, not a, an outcome thing. Um, but the fact is that it, it's a fight back to the states, um, and so... Um, I I appreciate the work you're doing and the work that lots of different right to life chapters are doing all throughout the country. Um, But I just wanted to give you an opportunity to reflect. What have you seen in the past year? How are things different? How are things the same? What, what have we done to pivot to a better strategy and what more do we need to do in the next year post row?
1: Absolutely. I think the biggest like thing I have noticed is that like, we need to be tougher than we've ever been. I think that the pro-life movement fought for so long on the legal front. Like they fought so long to get the courts on our side and they fought for so long to get Roe versus Wade overturned to the point that I think we idolize that in a way, um, which is a hundred percent understandable because, you know, when these when pro-life laws are being struck down, what were the courts referencing? They were referencing Roe versus Wade. And so there was this idea that, you know, if we can just get Roe versus Wade out of the way, uh, you know, we'll be good to go. And we, we understood on some level because we weren't stupid, but we, we understood on some level, okay, but there's going to be more past that. But I think we have greatly underestimated how much the culture still needs to change. Um, we see this in Ohio with the judges still blocking our pro-life laws even after Roe versus Wade is overturned. I mean, we've got a judge in Hamilton County who again has our heartbeat bill blocked even post Roe. Um, and so I think it's, it we should never underestimate how much we still need to change hearts and minds. Um, and I think that we are going to have to love our communities more than we ever have. I, I feel like that has, what's been kind of placed in my heart. Like, the fight gets so much more personal. Like it's not just federal anymore. Like I went and did decline to sign work outside of my local library in the city that my parents grew up in, in the city that my parents were married in, in the city that, you know, my family's owned a small business since the seventies. And to see people walk up to my local library and just sign away, uh, their rights as parents and sign away the rights of their parents future preborn children. And in some cases, their children there, I saw at least one pregnant woman who was signing the petition to make abortion uh, legal uh, through all nine months of pregnancy in Ohio. And I remember reflecting and being like, I didn't know how broken our communities were. Like, I didn't know how... Much people in our community had been lied to, and I think that it is going to require more grit, more heart, more compassion, and more dedication than ever before for us to just fight for our communities, like just our towns. Like I start to get real local with it. Like I start to just be like, "Hey, I can't do everything, right? Like I, I can't save everyone, but you know what? Like my town's not going to go down without a fight. Um, you know, my state's not going to go down without a fight. Um, and I'm finding that I'm going to have, to, I'm having to be even more gritty than I've ever been before." Um, in terms of just fighting for, for those truly who have no voice. So that's my thought. Um, just kind of strap in, baby. Like, this is just the beginning. Um, but I always told myself whenever I would get discouraged when I was an activist at first, I would always tell myself uh, whenever I would get a lot of hate or stuff um, from local forces and stuff, I would tell myself, you know, I'm going to win because I have more to lose than they do. And I'm, I'm an idiot. I will not stop. Like, I'll just keep going. Like, I'm a bulldog. Like, I will grab a hold and I will not let go. Um, and I'm, I'm going to win simply just because I'm going to outlast them um and that that has always been like a guiding star and the whole reason i started as a sidewalk advocate was because i cared about my city i was born in columbus like a mile away from my alma mater like that's where i was born like this is where i'm from this is where my family's from this is our history this is our heritage and once i knew that abortions were being committed in my city and i knew that i wasn't doing enough to stop it i knew i had to do something so Take that on yourselves. Like, have pride for your city. And I think that that you guys are doing that already, Herb. I know that you're super committed to Pittsburgh and there's so much work to do there. But yeah, get super, like, get super proud. Like, stand up for your community. You have what it takes to make change, but you're going to have to be really gritty.
2: This conversation has been really so fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on, Allie. Um, And yeah, I. I think you said it really well, Herb, like we're in a totally different ball game than we were in a year or two ago. Um, and so, yeah, we're like, we're gonna have to come back and reevaluate what are some of the tactics that we have used in the past, um, what worked before, what didn't work before, what might work now. Um, and I thank you so much, Ali, uh, for being on the ground and figuring out uh, all those all those questions about how we're gonna move forward now. Seriously, thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listening, who
0: is doing this work in their states, um, because it really matters. Uh, you know, I think that I often get stuck in thinking of abortion uh, and really all of the life issues as sort of just an issue of Changing hearts and minds, changing hearts and minds. And I think that's so important and we need to do that. Um, but we cannot ignore the law and the, the complicated politicking that needs to happen to ensure that these lives are protected because Um, You know, I I think we complain a lot. I complain a lot about, um, you know, the media is against us and there's all of this disinformation and we have all these problems and we have judges in Ohio blocking things like heartbeat laws, even though the the Dobbs decision overturned Roe. Um, You know, there's a lot to complain about, but there's also a lot to celebrate. We know that in this past year, demonstrably lives have been saved by states who have passed pro-life legislation. Um, There are children born today, born now, because we're post nine months, right? Um, Who are alive because of the efforts of the pro-life movement to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, And that is something to celebrate. And I think that every year, I am very hopeful that we're going to see more and more and more. And we are going to pass more laws, better laws that protect the unborn and policies that actually serve pregnant people and parents. Um, and this is not the end. Like we we said the day Roe v. Wade was overturned, you know, the work has just begun. Um, and I think that people like Ali and people all across the U.S. are making that clear that they've not given up. They've not shrugged their shoulders and said, okay, well, we we overturned Roe. Let's move on to the next issue. Um, this is still important to us and it's more important than ever because now we really have a chance to impact individual lives. Um, so again, thank you, Allie. That's my... That's the end of my spiel. Um, do you have anything you'd like to share? Um, where can we find you on social media or any any links you want to plug? Uh, what what should we send to the listeners?
1: Oh, gosh. Heck yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm not really very active on Facebook, so Twitter and Instagram is the best place to reach me. Um, it's just at uh a fraser life um but fraser spelled kind of weird it's f-r-a-z-i-e-r um but my tag is the same on instagram and on twitter and i'm very active um but what i would really really love to plug is i started a pro-life memes account (laughs) Um, to fight the ballot initiative and just educate people. And that's like my pride and joy and my passion project right now. So go follow um, at protect memes, Ohio on Twitter and Instagram. If you want good pro-life memes that also help educate on the ballot initiative. um, I've got that. And then please go to protect Women ohio um that is the coalition of pro-life organizations and pro-family organizations who are fighting the uh, abortion amendment in ohio so protect women ohio they're on social media share their content um read up on uh, the ballot initiative and stuff on their websites and uh yeah help us beat this thing
0: awesome all right thank
2: you everyone